Well, I'll tell you the weather last night, yesterday, made me want to just kind of bunker down and stay inside and uh, wouldn't blame anybody else if they felt the same way, but it sure turned out tonight nicely and I'm glad you're here. Uh, Acts 12 is, is a really interesting chapter in the, the book of Acts. Um, when I first started doing the Wednesdays, I th- think we started with Acts. It's been a long time. Um, I really liked it then and uh, I'm liking it again. I like action movies, right? so maybe that has something to do with it, but there's a lot going on in Acts. And uh, tonight in chapter 12, it's, it's not a whole lot of verses, but there's a whole lot of content. <clears throat> so, Acts chapter 12, I've got our verses on the board tonight in the New King James Version. And it says here in verse 1, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Now whenever I see about that time, I'll say, okay, well, let's back up and take some context here and look, look at the last few uh, verses of chapter 11, just to see what about that time means. It says here in verse 27, And in these days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they did, this they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Now, when I see this, where the church is, is banding together and making it easier to bear hardships, I'm, obviously I see strength and, and momentum and purpose. And that's going to seem like a little tangent here, but I'm going to talk barbecue for a minute. It's not one of my food rants, but I've gotten spoiled in terms of barbecue. And what I'm talking about is I've been using really good lump charcoal, right? so I'm spoiled by it. Now, if you, if you like to cook on charcoal briquettes, so you've got to try the lump charcoal. It's good stuff. But also, if you cook on briquettes, then you probably know what it's like to light the fire and for about 15 minutes stress out of whether it's going to stay lit. And you're, you might have to like hose it down with some lighter fluid again and risk the eyebrows and throw another match. And, and, and it's, it's sketchy for a little while. And then eventually you're like, okay, it's burning. Now we're cooking, right? That's what, I, that's what I see here. Like the church is like, okay, now we're cooking. We got strength. We got momentum. The fire is lit. We can see that we're, that we're coming together. We're dealing with these hardships. We're helping each other. The fire is lit. It's not about to fizzle out. All right, so here again in verse 1. Now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the church. I don't know if Herod knew anything about barbecue or briquettes, but I get the feeling that he was getting the feeling that this thing was catching on and that the fire was lit, and to live up to his terrible namesake, he's going to have to get in there and intervene and start turning up the persecution. So that's my food story for the, for the evening. The year is 44 A.D., based on the death of Herod. Uh, spoiler alert, Herod dies in this episode. If you're like me, you might be thinking of Herod, who ordered all the, the baby boys killed as a sick and horrifying insurance policy against this rumor of a king coming that, that might take his throne, um, which is exactly the sort of king that the people ought to rise up against, by the way. I can't imagine a worse human than one who would order the mass genocide of babies or the, or the people that would carry that order out. Uh, there's really not words that describe how, how much that sickens me. But there's purpose in me mentioning that and talking about that because we need to consider the environment that our church is in at this time. 
There is not a line that the enemies of God won't cross. They'll do anything, no matter, no matter how horrible it is. And the fact that the church is at this point catching fire against all these earthly odds, it's a testament to the faith of the Christians at that time and the steadfastness of God's promise. But the baby killer Herod is not this Herod. In fact, there were several King Herods in the New Testament. Um, the Herod here in Acts 12 was Herod Agrippa, or Agrippa I. He lived from 11 B.C. to 44 A.D., so he was 55 years old when he dies, uh, king of Judea the last three years of his life. Herod Agrippa was the grandson of Herod the Great, who I'm referring to as the baby killer. We read about this in, in Matthew 2, uh, in verse 16 and 18, and I'm going to read this here that it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Herod Agrippa was also the nephew of Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch of Galilee. Herod Antipas ordered the death of John the Baptist. This is another unbelievably sickening event, and because I'm really kind of pushing this narrative here, this view of the severity of the persecution, I'm going to read that one as well. It's bad times. Matthew 14, 3 through 12 says, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him, and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, and this is the really sick part, having been prompted by her mother, said, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. To his credit, at least he was sorry. It says, and the king was sorry. Nevertheless, because he made his promise because of the oath and because of those who sat with him and witnessed this oath, he commanded it to be given her. He had him, had him in prison, so he said, go bring me his head. Verse 11, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. I mean, what line will they not cross? Herod Agrippa, the one here in, in chapter 12, was also the father of Herod Agrippa II, kind of obvious, who Paul was brought to. And we're going to read about that in Acts 25 and 26, but you might remember that he is the one who said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian after Paul told his story of conversion and, and who he was and his history. Uh, and this Herod Agrippa is that Herod who Pilate sent Jesus to when he learned that Jesus was from Galilee, his jurisdiction. And it's interesting that Herod at that time was kind of excited to see Jesus, who he had heard of and was hoped he'd see some kind of neat miracles. And Jesus disappointed him. Maybe that was the start of his uh, angst towards Christianity. Anyway, my guess is that Herod wasn't a very popular baby name among Christians after all this. Kind of a, a rotten family there. So, that's a cheerful backstory. Let's see if it gets any better in verse 2. Verse 2, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Not any better. Okay, Herod killed John. It says... 
he begins to harass the church in verse 1, and then the very next sentence, he slays an apostle. That's the kind of harassment we're talking about. I cannot emphasize the seriousness of this situation enough. So, like all these multiple Herods, there was multiple Johns at this time as well. So, to be clear, this John was the first apostle to be martyred. Uh, Judas was the first apostle to die, but that was by suicide. Uh, John was part of Jesus' inner circle. It was him, James, and Peter that were often brought together to, to come with, with Jesus to witness things that others didn't get the chance to. This is the John we're talking about that Herod murdered. <clears throat> now, in verse 3, it says, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Herod and the Jews are very good buddies. And you know how good buddies are. Uh, the Jews were no doubt prodding him and influencing him in some way, or at least throwing fuel on this fire of his persecution. So he martyrs James. He seizes Peter, and he's planning to have a public ex execution as soon as Passover is, is done, after the festivities are over. So the Jews have a Jesus-hating buddy on the throne, and he doesn't have any hesitation to snuff out the Christians. So who could stand in their way to crush Christianity once and for all? Well, God. I, I don't know if they thought of that, but God could. Verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, we pray for our brothers and sisters in need, and Peter was definitely in need. He needed those prayers. I mean, I think I may have mentioned how serious this situation is. We need prayers of others, too. We're told to pray without ceasing, and we always need to be in touch with God, and we always need to be lifting up our brothers and sisters that are in need, and this is no different. Right? Peter wasn't um, immune from, from the need of prayer, and, and our voices lifting, lifting him up just like anybody else in need. Now, in verse 6, it says, And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and the light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off. All right, so there's Peter, chained to two guards, naked, stuffed in a dungeon, also had guards placed outside the door. He's not getting out of there on his own. It's not going to happen. He's definitely, completely in Herod's hands, and he's going to die if God doesn't intervene. So the angel appears, smacks him on the side, says, get up. Next thing he knows, he's awake. He just got punched by an angel, and the chains fell off. He's probably a little bit bewildered, confused. Wait a minute, what's going on here? Thought I was going to die in prison. Now there's this angel standing here. He hit me, told me to get up, and I'm free. Then the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street and immediately the angel departed from him. So Peter got on board with this rescue angel's orders. He did exactly what he was told to do. He got up, dressed, walked out of there. But it seemed a little bit too fantastic to be real. Uh, he thought he was dreaming the whole event. 
I don't really have these lucid dreams, but I know about like having a lucid dream where you're kind of understanding what's going on and you're making decisions and you're sort of involved in how things play out, but it's still just a dream. Uh, I think that's kind of how he felt here and what, what he thought was going on, except this was real. Uh, part of what he thought was a dream was an iron gate opening on its own to let them through right after walking through some, some guard posts. Um, what, I, what I read about this was this iron gate was uh, basically a massive impenetrable, impenetrable barrier, and I don't know exactly how, this, how they know this, how they understand this from what historical context, but it said it takes 25 people to move the gate to open it. Right? They don't need a guard. They shut it and lock it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right? But the thing opened, and they walked through. Peter was delivered out of a fortress by an angel. <clears throat> and when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So once it sank in that he was really out of there, and he wasn't dreaming, he was, he was clear of imminent danger, he figured it out. And uh, obviously, it could only be intervention by the Lord. Of course, Peter's going to recognize that. <clears throat> so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. She got too excited and just forgot to open the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. So Peter immediately, after, after getting out, realizing he's free, it's, it's real, he goes to find his very f- close friend, Mark. This is the apostle Mark who would write the book, the gospel, according to Mark. But going back again to the dire situation of, of Herod's, Herod's violent crusade against the Christians, nobody believed Peter was actually there knocking at the door because they knew the situation that he was in. They knew what Herod's intent was. They knew his power. So if she's saying it's Peter, then they're saying, well, he had to have died and it's his ghost. That's, they just didn't believe it. They hadn't quite realized yet that God answered the prayers that we talked about in verse 5. And they were even gathered together praying. doesn't say what. Peter was probably in their prayers in this gathering. Um, but their prayers were answered, and God delivered him right, right to them. Now, when Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hands to keep silent, he he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. So they opened the gate, and they're shocked to see him. Uh, She said that's Peter. They didn't believe it. They come and look. It's Peter. They're shocked. He's shushing them. He's urging them to keep quiet. Don't let anybody know that he he was there. the fact that they were all shocked by this, it, it supports this, um, this fact that they didn't have anything to do with busting him out of there, unless you count the prayer. They had something to do with the prayer. But there's, uh, there's people that would say that the, that the Christians came and some, some band of determined Christians broke him out of jail. But no, they, didn't, they were just as shocked as anybody else. This was divine intervention. Now, he was fleeing, but he took the risk to stop here to let them know that he's okay and he's been freed by the hand of God. And he also wanted them to spread the word to James and the brethren. And there's some debate on which James uh, he was asking him, them to tell. Since we just read in verse 2 that James, the son of Zebedee, being, was the first apostle to be martyred. 
well, we can assume this isn't the same James. Maybe Peter didn't know he was dead, and he said, go tell James, or maybe he's talking about a different Peter. Some believe that uh, he's referring to the brother of Jesus. Don't really know, and it's not really relevant, but because in verse 2 they said James was dead, and then here in, in verse 17 he says, go tell James, um, felt it necessary to sort of give a little bit of context there. Now in verse 18, it says, Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. Shocker. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. Also a shocker. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. So the guards were stirred up. They were, they were freaking out a little bit. Um, then Herod examined them like um, judge, jury, and executioner all together. All right, can you imagine being one of those guards? They had to have known immediately that they were all dead meat. As soon as, as, they find, as, soon as Herod finds out that Peter's gone, we're finished. Now, um, I don't know where the scriptural context was in verse we read a little bit ago. It said that he um, had four squads of guards, and so that's apparently 16 guards, understanding the squads of the time, I don't know. But uh, what I understand here is that Herod executed 16 guards because he was so unwilling to acknowledge that God had anything to do with this that he would say, all 16 of you had a conspiracy to set this guy free. Right? Well, that's pretty ridiculous on its face because every one of them know Herod. He's a psycho killer. He's got all the power he wants. They're not going to get away with that. Like, that's, that's a suicide plan. Why would they set Peter free knowing that it would cost them all their lives? No, I guarantee you that those guards would have died fighting that angel if they, they were able to do so. They, they would not have let Peter out. But Herod isn't going to say, this is God. Herod's going to say, you're all dead. You failed. This is, you're all against me. It's a plot killing you all. So that's what he did. He killed them all. After his little temper tantrum, he went to Caesarea, and I'll talk a little bit more about going to Caesarea here after a couple more verses. <clears throat> it says now in verse 20, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, gave him a speech. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. So what's up here is that Herod went to Caesarea. This is the capital city of Judea. Uh, he goes to, goes to his capital city. Now, <clears throat> I probably should have reached out to Justin for some quality maps uh, my Googling didn't produce what I really wanted. <laughs> I'll just leave the mapping to the, to the expert. But, um, so I don't have a map, unfortunately. But basically, Tyre and Sidon are cities in neighboring Syria to the north. And I don't know what Herod had against them. Uh, it said he was angry with the people. Um, but, you know, clearly he's a hateful guy, and it's easy to get on his bad side. Anyway, the people were just really kissing up to him. Like they, they came to him, they're pleading for peace. They made friends with his aide, Blastus. And on top of that, they were lifting him up, not just as a mere mortal, but as a god. 
All right, so these words here where they're, he's giving a speech and the people keep shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. When I first read this, I thought they were shouting him down. Like they didn't want to hear him. They wanted to hear the word of God or what. It, 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 it just didn't register with me what was going on at first. Um, but what they're actually saying is he's so great. This is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a God. They were, they were just really, really uh, bowing down to him. All right, so some commentary I read points to some other historical context here by Flavius Josephus, a first-century Roman Jewish historian and military leader. Now, the Bible has so much to tell us, and we know that it's often written, you know, as just the facts. These are, this is what you need to know. That's what we're given. Um, so I don't know if what Josephus wrote might be embellished or erroneous or what. It's, it's a historical context. Who knows? Uh, but it was useful for me to better understand what this particular scene is all about. Um, so I'll read it there. Josephus said, When Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar. Now Caesarea was named after Caesar. Um, the, the, the capital city there, it was, this is all about Caesar. Um, when Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he exhibited shows in honor of Caesar. On the second day of which shows, so they had these games going on, this big, big celebration. On the second day, he put on a garment made wholly of silver. The Bible says arrayed in royal apparel. Um, Josephus says, um, garment made wholly of silver, truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning, right? So this, the games, the theater. The silver of his garment reflecting the sun's rays, spreading a horror over all those that looked. His flatterers, the people who were flattering him, those who were worshiping him or whatever, his flatterers cried from one place and another that he was a god, adding, be merciful to us, for although we, we have hitherto or before refer, reverenced thee only as a man, you know, before we, we revered you but as a man, and and then they said, yet shall we henceforth, or going forward, own thee as superior to mortal nature. And so they're saying, you're awesome. Be merciful to us. We, we thought you were awesome as a man, but now we, we think you're awesome as a god. And he's wearing the silver, and this is his big show, and it's all about me. And then Flavius Josephus writes, presently a severe pain arose in his belly and began in a most violent manner. Herod said, I whom you call a God am presently commanded to depart this life. I am bound to accept what providence allots. All right, so that correlates to the Bible, mostly. Understanding what the people meant by voice of a God and not of man, that, that's useful information. Uh, but Herod isn't going to admit that God set Peter free, and he wasn't going to tell all these people who were worshiping him as, as a God that he's not worthy of worship and not a God. In other words... He would not give glory to God, just like it says there in, in verse 23. So an angel struck him dead. Now, maybe I've seen a few too many Indiana Jones movies or something, but, but what I envisioned here was worms eating him like a time-lapse video of ants devouring a mouse on the Discovery Channel. Right? Just, there he's gone, pile of worms. Maybe that happened, I don't know. Um, but Josephus describes a severe stomachache, a violently severe stomachache. And according to Josephus, it was so bad that Herod knew he, he was dying at that moment. Um, but Herod said, it's just his luck. He said that it was the, the 
providence, he's going to accept it. It's just his luck, again, denying God. Now, I don't know if, if worms burst out of him and, and devoured his body or something Indiana Jones style, or if they you know, later learned that his body was infested with worms and that was the cause of death. But I do know that it was God's will. An angel struck, struck him, he was eaten by worms, and he died right there in the middle of everybody saying, you're glorious, you're a God, and him saying, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much all that. Oh, but maybe not, and he dies. <clears throat> now, verse 24, it says, after all of this, but the word of God grew and multiplied. And in verse 25, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, as we all know, uh, these books weren't, you know, originally written in, in chapter form and where they are divided sometimes seems a little odd to me. And I think verse 25 is kind of like the opening verse of the next chapter. I really don't have any commentary on that verse. It's simply the next thing written about. So we'll see what happens there next week. But man, what a roller coaster of violence. Um, mankind can certainly commit some unspeakable evils. But no matter what depraved and desperate measures one can take against God's will, it's going to fail. You cannot stop what, God's, what God wills to happen. And despite the efforts of Herod and the Jews, the word of God grew and multiplied. And that's it. That's, that's, that's God's will versus the haters of God's will. It's not going to pan out for them. Um, and speaking of God's will... He wills that you would be saved. So at the end of this chapter, as our, is our custom, we offer the opportunity, if you are, are ready and have been instructed and, and need to accept, receive Jesus and, and obey, we would ask that you would come up and sit on the front row. But if you have any other need, prayers, or anything that the church can help with, as we stand and sing, we'd ask you to come and, and sit at the first front row. What can